Welcome to the Healthy Love and Money Podcast. If you find money to be the number one, two, or even third largest source of stress in your relationship, then you're in the right place. Going beyond how to budget, invest, and do your taxes, we're going to explore financial intimacy. Discover how to talk with your partner about your shared financial life. Let's take the awkward and painful out of money conversations. Join me and hit follow to listen to weekly inspiring, healing, and motivating interviews with financial therapists, couples therapists, and financial planners, and so many more. Let's go on the journey of financial intimacy together. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Healthy Love and Money Podcast. Today, I have Elizabeth Overstreet with me, and she's a relationship strategist. She brings years of personal experience and exploration, as well as working with countless clients on their love story and helping them work on the mindset that may be attracting the wrong experience into their love life. So Elizabeth is going to help us unpack how she sees the world, how she helps her clients get a clearer vision of their love life. And then we're going to talk especially about love and money and what's happening there. Elizabeth, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Ed. I was so excited to know someone's out here talking about money and healthy love. I'm like, they can go together. They could coexist. So I'm excited to be on your show today. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, it's a powerful intersection. And I feel like there's a lot of experts on personal finance and there's a lot of experts on relationships, but very few that really can bring those two things together. And so... That's my deep passion and interest because for most couples, that can be a major lightning rod. And uh, if you work in the relationship business for any length of time, you start to find that out pretty quickly. Oh, yeah. Like when you talk to people and I talk to couples either who are kind of at an inflection point of trying to figure out they should be together or often at an inflection point or should we continue or how do we get through a hurdle? And when you talk to couples, I mean, one of the biggest things that consistently comes up and even with divorces is finances. Oh, even more so, I think, once you get to divorce. Oh, absolutely. If, you know, it's always like it starts off like, well, I don't think it'll go that bad. You know, we we had a court, you know, a good relationship. Yes, it's ending, but we, we're not those type of people. And then, whoa, when things start heating up towards that divorce, it, get, it can get pretty ugly financially. So before we start to open up all of these fun little doors. Why don't we tell the listeners a little bit about your journey and how did you come to this work? Yeah. So I really accidentally fell into this work uh, for people out there, but it was something I was doing and didn't realize I was doing it. So let me explain. Um, I was often that friend that people came to for advice on relationships. And I always had this uh, panache or way of helping people get through their, their hurdles. They would be like, I think I'm getting ready to go down a bad path. How do I handle this? Or how do I talk to my partner about this? I was doing this like my whole life since I was like younger. And then my parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles were in multi-decade relationships. So basically my parents were married um, 57 years until they passed uh, away. Mm. And then I had aunts and uncles that were married 40 plus years and my grandparents 60 years. So I was organically picking up all this information about relationships that I thought everyone kind of knew. And I saw people in happy and rewarding relationships, but I saw the ups and downs too. Mm -hmm. And then I figured naively, oh, when I get in a relationship, it should be pretty easy because I've observed these good relationships. But that was my naive side. Uh, Fast forward years later, um, I went through a relationship. You know, I was married before and I got divorced. So I dated like as a single person, a single parent, a divorcee. So I've been through those stages. But then I was in a relationship that I thought was going to go to the next stage. It didn't. I was devastated. This is before I started doing anything with relationship coaching. And it really took me inward um, going through that breakup. And I'm very creative and I wrote about it. So I wrote a book and 
people said, you should talk about this. You seem to have an understanding. And I think people could relate because I was going through the pains they were going through mm. of figuring out, like, how do I get through this and do it the right way? So I started going on radio and TV. And I, every time I would try to go away from this work, <laughs> I would get pulled <laughs> in. <laughs> Plus, I really just, I love it. Like, it's it's nothing like being able to see someone transform themselves, number one, mm-hmm. and really learn to love themselves. And then number two, be in a healthy relationship. So those are the things that have gotten me to where I am today and doing this work. You know, there's, there is kind of a, a calling that gets put on people in this line of work. And even if you try to leave the work, it still pulls you back in, right? Like, they keep pulling you in like the mob. Not that there's any mob references to anyone listening, but it, it is. It's like every yeah. time you walk away, there's another thing that says, come on, stay, stay. And you know, Ed, it's fun work to do too. It's, it can be very fun and very rewarding. It can also be incredibly taxing, let's be honest. Yes, um, yes. But I think it's, you know, the rewards are in, in the results. And so I'm curious were you a relationship coach in your family, like growing up? So I was the middle child, if that counts. And um, I was the mediator. I come from a large family. So my dad was married before. And then he, so he had two kids with his first marriage and five on the second marriage. So there's seven siblings. Okay. So I'm right sitting in the middle. So, yes, I was the kid called to say, hey, go talk to your brother about this. Or, you know, you can work it out. So I learned some really good uh, mediation skills because I had to deal with a lot of personalities uh-huh. um, growing up in a big family. I find that that's a common story for a lot of relationship helpers is in their families. They, they were put in that role and because there was maybe some natural ability in that, that space. And so, um, yeah, it's a good call out. I never thought of it that way. <laughs> ah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's right. That's, I think for a, a number of folks that are in the formal or informal helping, right. You're on the professional side of helping relationships uh, but there's a lot of people out there that are trying to help people through relationships that are kind of informally trained in their family about what to do and how to do it. That's true. Yeah. That's true. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of crisis management in family life, right? <laughs> well, there sure can be. There certainly can be. And that's, you know, I think part of the, the bigger journey of, for a lot of us, is learning how to, to heal from the crisis experiences of living in family life. So, you know, you, when we're talking about this, kind of from your perspective, learning to love yourself is a huge part of being able to be in a love relationship. So can you walk me through your understanding of that and the different phases you've gone through on that journey? Yeah. So I think, you know, we hear a lot of the terminology of self-love out here Uh and, you know, self-love is not just taking yourself to a spa. I mean, that's a part of it. You should take care of yourself (laughs) physically and mentally. I do believe in that. But on the other hand, it's also self-accountability. So it's also recognizing your flaws. It's also being accountable for your part that you play in your relationship. So for me, for a long time, I was kind of looking on the other side. And I remember having this conversation that was an aha moment with a friend of mine. And uh, he's, you know, I was talking to my friends and I was complaining about this guy I was dating. And he's like, it's on you. I'm like, what? And he didn't explain in that moment, but it stuck with me. And I remember going to bed and being like, what does he mean is on me? Because I'm an analyzer. Yeah. I went back to him the next day. And I'm like, I want to talk about that. What do you mean? He's like, you have control of the situation. You, you could walk away from it. You're choosing to engage in that. You're settling for that. So, and it, and it's, I hope you don't look back on your life 20 years later 
and regret wasting time on situations where you know you shouldn't have been in those situations. You're, you're talking about it. You're complaining about it. You know it's not a fit, but you're trying to fit a square peg in a round hole. Uh, and so that was a like jarring moment for me because I think a lot of times it's easy for us to like point the finger at the other person. Uh-huh. But there's what's that saying? There's always a bunch of there's three more fingers. <laughs> Ooh, fingers pointing back at you. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Right. So so even though like I'm not saying that like we don't get with people that could be difficult or that cause challenges for us, is sometimes we see those things coming, but we still engage in it. So the self-love piece is like understanding who you are first. Um, because when I coach people, a lot of times I hear things from them such as, yeah, Elizabeth, like, um, I don't know what he wants or she wants, or how do I know if I'm going to please them in doing this? And I'm like, well, what do you, what do you want? Who are you? And so they kind of can put the onus a lot of times on the other person and they have this high list of, you know, things they want from this other person, but they're not always, there's not always that clarity with themselves. So I think in my own journey, even sure. I've learned that you need to have that clarity with yourself. That's the starting point. That's the foundation. Yeah, there's, right. I think there's a, a, a good handful of the population that learns to be focused on the other person and what's going on there and, and then add insult to injury. From my perspective, uh, you're responsible for helping other people. Right. And you don't really get to ask that question, like, what do you want and how do you want to be helped? Because you're so used to helping everybody else. Do you see that as a pretty common pattern? Oh, yes. There's such a like, so you get in a relationship and you're so focused, like externally outside of yourself that you're at a you're at a negative starting point because you're not even engaging from a place of self-knowing or self-understanding first. And because you don't have that self-knowing and self-understanding piece I feel like you're always going to be in flux with another person because you don't have a sense of like, this is where I stand on this. This is who I am. This is what's going to shape what I want. Mm -hmm. And it's not that even when you have those things that now, oh, okay, I'm going to get all the great guys and women of the world. Because that's not true. (laughs) Unfortunately. I'm a realist. Like, yeah, it doesn't go like that. But you at least hope if you're there, you can recognize it on the other side or you can recognize someone else who's on a similar journey. I think that's the key because we're always... Mm -hmm evolving and changing as humans you know none of us are perfect we're all imperfect but it's like can you meet someone that can meet you close to where you are or where you're at or who can go on the journey with you and i think that's the the disconnect that happens in a lot of you know relationships so that's a really important thread and because i meet a number of couples that i work with where one person's really kind of awakening and working on their own personal healing and learning and growth journey but the other partner's not yes you know what I'm talking about. I see your, I'm reading, I'm seeing yeah. your face. Listeners can't see your face, but you can hear it in her voice. She's like, yeah, uh-huh, yeah, I see that too. Yeah. <laughs> that's a, you know, that's a really difficult spot to end up in. What do you, what do you do with your clients when you've, when you find that's the case? You know, this is the thing. I don't think it necessarily means that you should leave the person or not be with the person. It, it kind of depends on where that person is in their journey. It depends on if they're open to growing in that journey. Because I can attest to this even in my own marriage, you know, like, you know, we are and I and I learned this from my mentor. And it's really funny because he's like, when you're first getting to know someone, you got to think of it like if you have a baby, you know, they're in that infant stage then they're a baby, then they're a toddler, then they're a tween, then they're a teen. Each stage you're changing. So I remember like saying my mentor is like I have another mentor that's like a mental he does mental health counseling. So we talk about stuff all the time. 
And he was like, I would get frustrated. Like, why doesn't my husband understand this? We talked about all these things. Like, we should be right here. We're mature people. Right. He's like, oh, you're still infants. You're still infants. How many years has it been? He's like, you're still in the early early phases. And this is someone that's been married. I think he's been married like almost 30 years. Uh-huh. And so I think that's the, you know, the thing that people need to recognize that even if you get with someone, you could be really further along in your self, you know, self-development, self-understanding, self-healing. They may not be there, but maybe they have the capacity to be there yeah. and they have other attributes that outweigh that. Or maybe they're not there and you don't need to <laughs> be with that person, too. It, you really have to weigh what's important. And that comes back to the self-love piece, right? Like understanding where you are, what you will deal with, what you can handle, what's important to you and how they fit into it. I think that's how you kind of navigate those two pieces. Yes. Yes. To all of that. I'm thinking about, you know, like for the folks that are on there, if they're not partnered and they're, or they were partnered and then they're not, and then they go on this learning, healing, growing journey, but then they repartner and all of a sudden, like they think that they're, but they partner with someone that's not actually on the journey. So then they like create an imbalance and they're trying to yeah, so they go backwards yeah. because they're constantly like they're not. It's like a scale, right? It's like they're um, not on the same pl- playing ground. It reminds me of that movie with Meg Ryan and Andy Garcia, where she was an alcoholic. It's an old movie, okay. and she was alcohol. They were married. They had children. She was an alcoholic, and they were so codependent on each other. Yeah. And it was like he not purposefully, but he was enabling her behavior. And then when she got sober it was like a totally different relationship. So like when she was an alcoholic, she totally needed him. That it, it, it worked even though it was very dysfunctional and uneven. He was always there to rescue her. Yeah. But then when she got sober, she was kind of like, I don't think we're compatible uh, because she had changed and his role that he had played with her, right. he didn't know how to like operate with her in this new role of her being a sober person. So I think it could be like that with someone who is self-developed like you're talking about yeah. and they've done the healing. And then say they get with someone who's really like on the other end, they may not meet in the middle because that person may not be ready to come to the middle, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that that's kind of one of the almost, it's one of the the stages in the healing and growing journey, right? Is uh, I know from my own experience as I've gone on this, it's like who I'm, I'm much more thoughtful about who I'll form friendships with now. Mm-hmm. And I don't just form friendships. You're more intentional about it, more right? More intentional, more selective, yeah. which, you know, mm-hmm is a very uh, strange feeling sometimes for someone who's used to wanting to make friends and be friends with everyone. Uh, But there's a lot of relief. And I think, you know, so for people that are on this journey and trying to figure this out and asking these questions, like who you start spending time with changes, right? Yes, it does. And and that's why I talk again about your foundation. Um, I always think, you know, when I think of a relationship, I think of the architecture of a house. Mm -hmm. You know, a house that has a solid foundation lasts longer. A house that doesn't, you always have issues forever and ever and ever. Um, so, <laughs> like, literally, right? Like the Money Pit movie. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. That's, yeah, right. You really got to, you got to get to the foundation and do the foundation work. And mm-hmm. I mean, so many of us come into adulthood without a, a fully solid or formed foundation, but we got some house built on top of some foundation true yes. for all of us we have some foundation <laughs> in some house but it's, it's shaky sometimes shaky you know? sometimes so mm-hmm. what are some of those things that help you get to your clients foundation and help them 
really develop out their foundation more. What what are some of your favorite ex- exercises or questions? How do you like to get at that with with your clients? Yeah, like I like to have people write down who they are, you know, like what they want, um, you know, what what attributes are important. And I'm like, I don't want to hear the little stupid attributes like he's six feet tall and he's dark and handsome or she's curvaceous <laughs> or she's an Instagram model. I'm being, I'm being dramatic here audience, sure. but yeah. I want to hear like real core values. Like, you know, I want someone who has a good sense, sense of humor. I want someone who is stable or consistent. Right. Yeah. Um, because I think when people have this awareness of like that piece that helps them to know what to look for. Um, the other thing I, I take people through exercises about their childhood, like what did they receive as a child? What did it look like? What are they receiving now? What do they want to receive in their relationships? And it's very interesting to watch sometimes what either what we lacked in childhood that we overcompensate for in our relationships, which is why we sometimes end up in these relationships that are one-sided or how we have patterns that we can't often see until we really sit there and think about it. And then I love taking people through foundational things like just how they grew up, you know, what they observed in relationships around them, what their relationship was to their caretaker. Like, you know, sometimes our behaviors are so unconscious and conscious, like who we choose. (laughs) We we really do choose our parents a lot. It's just like, it's innate in a way. Um, You do have people that go extreme the other way, but most of the time there's still some traits because that's what you were familiar with. Yeah. You know, it's, I don't want to say this. I'm trying to make like a food analogy, but if you grow up eating like your culture's food, like you can grow up and go eat other foods, but there's still nothing like getting back to like your family's barbecue or the mac and cheese or the rice or the, the pasta, you know, whatever the culture you come from. But it's like, it's so familiar. It's so deep in your psyche and taste buds that like it feels almost unavoidable. And that's, I think I wonder if that's not one of the bigger traps that people get stuck into is like, I just keep getting pulled back to the same type of people. And I, what, yes. what's going on here? Like, I, I can't figure this out. There's definitely some value in like self-reflection and thinking backwards. Like one exercise I like people to do, and it kind of freaks them out a little bit is like, <laughs> I'll say, go interview some exes, go interview some friendly exes, like where it ended, <laughs> uh-huh. but like, yeah. But like it didn't work out. And ask them about you. Like ask them what they enjoyed about you and what were some things they felt challenged about in you. Because often if we reflect back in our relationships, there are themes that we hear with people. And I always say if you hear something like three times or more, that's a theme. That's yeah. something that's probably yeah. there's some truth to it, right? Oh yeah. And hearing it in a space where it's no longer the relationship is there and it's not fresh right. can actually be meaningful because this person interacted with you in a more intimate way. Um, so I think that's another thing that can help you kind of see the patterns you're talking about, because there is familiarity with liking certain things. Like people will say, I have preference for this. I have preference for that. There's a reason they sure. have a, pre- a preference for it. There's something they associated with their mind yep. that when they see someone that may look a certain way, we do it as humans. Like oh. we have bias, like we all do. 100%. There's someone we see and if they remind us of one of our good friends, it's like we're going to have more likability or halo effect, they call it, where we see good in them yeah. Oh, yeah. than bad. And then there's some people where we had a bad experience with someone with that name or the way oh. they look, we're like, ooh, oh. they, we're looking for stuff. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, you know, the naming thing, I can remember when my wife and I were trying to name our kids and she, I, I'm just going to pull out one of the names, but she said Colby and I was like, no way, not a chance, not happening. She's like, what, what, what? And I was like, cheese reference. 
<laughs> no, you no. knew somebody was a Kobe. It was in fourth <laughs> or fifth grade. A boy, Kobe. Excuse me. I'm having a moment on the podcast. It's okay. It's not uncommon. <laughs> I might even have a few. Whoa. I might, I'll, I'll cry about this later. But. Uh, oh. Yeah. He called me fat. Oh. You know. I, so this is, you know, I mean, this is a real podcast. He's like, I'm living, breathing on my own healing yeah. journey, right? You're and, human, you're human, you're not a robot. I'm not either. I, yeah, right. Like, yeah. You know, and the, these are that kind of like, these are the types of conversations that spur moments of growth and insight, right? Like I, I didn't come here looking for that from you necessarily, but it just, we're in the conversation. And, yeah. Um, but yeah, we have these deep associations with different names and meanings and, and moments or flashes where something painful gets stuck in our psyche oftentimes. And then we're like drawn to almost repeating it until we can. I think the Freudian thing is like repetition compulsion. Like you keep, you know, what's it? You got something in your car or is the phrase you just keep scratching at it until you get it out. Oh, you yeah. know, it's like, yeah. I mean, think about trauma. Sometimes people don't remember a traumatic situation has happened to them until right. they read something right. or a memory triggers it or experience. So like, yes, there's so much embedded in our subconscious. And there's a great book out there called um, The Body Keeps Score, which you may have read. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it talks about it talks about effect of trauma on the body. Like there's literally a physical response. Yeah. You know, when someone has a nervous breakdown, you your nerves are frazzled to such a degree you're mentally breaking down. Like it's real. There's a psychological and a physical thing that happens. So these yeah. things are embedded, so, you know, and yeah. sometimes they're more like pushed down or suppressed or sometimes, you know, some, some moment reveals it. And then we yeah. have a moment where you just had like, what about Kobe? I was trying to joke and say cheese. And you're like, no, there was a Kobe no. that tortured me. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. No, I'm not letting you have the hook on that one. I'm going there. I'm going to open this up. I saw yeah. That. Yes. <laughs> Yes, yes, yeah. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to the Healthy Love and Money podcast. I'm honored that you spend time with me listening to these incredible interviews. I love working with individuals and couples around their financial life, integrating mental health and relational well-being. I'd love to personally invite you into my financial planning practice where I do therapy-informed financial planning, bringing together mental health, relationship health, and financial well-being. If you're thinking that's the type of help you'd like, please see the show notes below to schedule your free 30-minute discovery call. And I'll look forward to seeing you and hearing more about your unique story and how I can best support you. Now, back to the show. I want to come back, though, to this exercise that you highlight because I don't think I've heard anybody else say this exercise, so it's really powerful. Uh, is going back to, and I appreciate you saying friendly exes, right? If there's still a toxic or hostile, mm-hmm. like, you probably it's probably no, not gonna be helpful. Gonna go. Don't go visit a narcissist. That's not gonna. It's not gonna work. It, not, it ain't gonna help you out so much. It's just gonna re-trauma. But I mean, if you have right. friendly enough terms, go back and talk to your exes. And and that really was interesting to me, because you know, in the last couple of years, I've gone back not to exes, but to old friends that I knew from different seasons of life. As I've been trying to put together, who am I? Who was I at this time? And asking them like you know, what was I like? What did you see? And it's been so incredible to hear them describe some of the attributes they saw about me that I couldn't see at that time. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, that's just uh, kind of a psychological truth is we don't ever see ourselves clearly, even when we feel like we do. Like, you know, that common phrase early in recovery yeah. is like, yeah, but I already know myself. What are you going to tell me about myself that I don't already know? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, you know yourself at 
this symbolic level of one, but like uh, you got ten more layers to go of knowing yourself. Oh, I love that because like it's so true. Like um, me, me and my friend, one of my friends, we always talk about that. He's like, it's such you feel so cheated. The one person you can't see is yourself. Like you can <laughs> in a mirror, but you really can't. Yeah. You do not know how people see you or receive you, which is why if you can't find friendly exes, then you go to friends like you. You know, you, you had friends that saw things in you that you didn't see in yourself. And I've done that, too, with friends. I'll say, what do you think is my thing? Because, like, people will see things I don't. And, I, you know, I coach people like they'll see things I don't see in myself. I mean, I'm a human just like everyone else. When I take off my coach hat, I'm Elizabeth that's struggling, talking to my husband like, hey, can you do this oh. for me? You know, I may have a little more insight because I do this work, but still I'm a human. And oh. that's when it's like just me and my husband having that conversation. So I love what you said about just sometimes even if you can't find like a friendly ex, like talking to your friends and because and, your friends often know, too. They'll keep it sometimes real with you, we, too. We Good have, friends will. Oh, yeah. Good friends will tell you the truth. Like they'll say, are you really wanting to go down that path? That's a sign you need to ask the follow up question. What do you mean? What path? Because they they're watching from the outside. Well, so a friend conversation I had recently, you know, I said, you know, how did you see me when we knew each other in our early 20s? I'm 41 now. She said, well, you were always really ambitious and had lots of goals. And I I really like that about you. It just shocked me. I was like, what? What are you talking about? She said, yeah, you had dreams and you would talk about the dreams you had and things you wanted to do. And, and it's like, as she said that, I was like, you know, yeah, you're right. But I, what I remember about how I saw myself at that time was I'm just a nice guy just trying to keep, like, make friends. Mm-hmm. Like, that, that was my view of myself. And so, like, while I was goal-driven and ambitious, I wasn't even connected with that part of myself. Like, I didn't think that came on board until I met my wife. That's not uncommon, though, because sometimes, like, someone who is ambitious can't see how ambitious they are. But for people who are, like, outside that window, where maybe, not that they're not ambitious, but that's not their drive or focus, they can clearly see it. But it's very hard to see it in yourself. Wow, that really opens something. So you see that as a pretty common pattern is that people can't even see their own level of ambitions, ambitiousness. Is that the right word? I don't know. Maybe. I mean, I mean, their, their drive. I mean, I think um, a lot of times people who are ambitious do have friends or people in their circle that are similar or ahead of them because they want to be at that next level. So those people understand them, but within a relationship context, I think it could be difficult, right? Like how, because, because my husband says that about me, like if I'm sitting still, I feel so lazy, but it feels good. And I'm learning to embrace that more because I need to be better about that. Yeah, I, I'll i just say like the example I think about the most is like I'm very like future thinking. So I'm always thinking five years ahead of time. Uh-huh. And my husband is very present oriented. So I'll be like, what are we going to do about this in five years? How do we get to this? And he'll be like, oh, we need to go and smell this flower over here. <laughs> look at these flowers, like slow down. Just, just let's go sit by the water and look, you know, look at the water, look at the flowers. But for me, I need, that's good balance for me. Yeah. Because I often think if I had someone who was like trying to do the same things all the time, right. that we might miss out on things. So I feel like we both position each other. He positions me to be present in the moment. Mm. And then I think about the future. So when you, you know, you combine the two, that could be very powerful. So I think that happens a lot in relationships though, that, you know, people, 
can see you, you have an idea about you, but they see it a lot more clearer. Kind of like we can see other people very clear, you know, outside of ourselves, their problems, how to solve them is a little easier. (laughs) Yes. Yes. You know, it's funny this morning I was at uh, my local coffee shop and I was meeting, meeting a guy and I said, you know, one of my favorite lenses is called the Johari window. Have you ever heard of this? So it's a four box quadrant. I'm going to try to describe this so people can hear it, but it basically is like, if you draw four boxes, am I making sense? Yes, I'm with you. Okay. I'm tracking. So across the top, it says known to others, not known to others. And down the side, it says known to self and not known to self. And so basically that first upper left box is like publicly known information. Like I can see you're wearing a black shirt. You can see that I'm wearing this polo. We both know that we're in really the relationship world. Okay. So that's public information. Right. But then if you go across the top and to the right, that's known to self, but not known to others. So there's things that have happened in my life that you don't know about me yet. And most people don't know. That's kind of the private information, right? right? And mm-hmm. so that is always true. And then if we go down the the first column, it's known to others, not known to ourselves. And that's what we've really been talking about is the things that other people can see about us that we can't see about ourselves. Mm-hmm. And man, when I first learned that that was even a psychological thing, it totally freaked me out. That makes sense to me. It's kind of like, I think of two things, okay? Yeah. So one is fun is one, one is more nerdy. <laughs> I think about an iceberg and how you only see the tip of an iceberg. Right, right. Like, you know, the Titanic, were like, how did you not see this thing? But they only could see the tip of the iceberg, right. but this thing is way underwater. Right. So there's so much you're not seeing. The second more fun example is whenever people or a band do like a behind the music or a documentary and they do their story, everyone comes back together like, I didn't know you were dealing with that. And these are people that were touring together, that were spending a ton of time together. Not that they would know everything. They may have high level knew, okay, you're going through a rough spot. You're going through a divorce. But I didn't know you were like dealing with addiction or I didn't know you were dealing like it would be big. That, That was always interesting to me when you watch these documentaries, how people are like, I didn't know you had that big issue going on mm-hmm. and you're like how did they not know they were in close proximity but like you said the visual they saw how that person right. showed up right and there were certain things they knew about them but there was like so much that was unknown about them and then there were probably things they saw in them because as they talked about each other too to your point they'd be like yeah the thing i loved about you is you always would cheer us up really i was that person because i was going through it and so you're, you yeah. i just think that part is so interesting about human behavior it is and i think it really speaks to that capacity that like if we can grow and expand and, and those of us in the psychology relationship space, like we're just drawn to continually trying to better understand things and then realizing like, Oh, that's why I missed this back then. Right. And like, Oh, okay. Now we have a way of doing it better. And yeah, I mean, it's the ability for our, our minds to grow and develop insight and wisdom and maybe this is like a that whole other piece, right? It's like, I don't even know what the phrase I'm trying to get out, but it's something about wisdom is developed through the school of hard knocks, right? Like you it don't is. know what you don't know until you hit the wall or have a relationship fail or end up in major depression or, you know, in a, in a crazy addiction. And it's like, finally you figure out like, oh, this is what I actually needed to know to overcome this exactly. challenge get to the next thing. Yeah. Yeah. So this is the healthy love and money podcast. You work with couples all the time and money comes up all the time. Mm -hmm. What, how do you help your couples get through their money roadblocks and challenges? 
Yeah, I, you know, just similar to how we were talking about how you have to go through certain hurdles and challenges to understand things. I think money is no different in the sense that some of us grow up with money, some of us don't. Some of us see how money is spent in our homes and have more transparency. You know, fortunately, I grew up, my dad was a financial planner, so he was taking me on his appointments. <laughs> so, like, I was just absorbing information and didn't realize it until years later. I'm like, don't people know about this? Like, yeah, good credit is important. And, yeah, you should be investing here. Right. I don't know everything, but I know probably a lot right. um, from that experience. So my understanding of money was, like, freedom, independence, stability, be smart about it. Not that I was always smart about it. I had to have my own hurdles, yeah, um, yeah. hit my own walls that you talked about. But, you know, just going fast forwarding to couples, I think it's similar. Like they come in the relationship and, you know, if you grew up and you didn't have a lot, you may work super hard because you may have saw that your parents struggled and struggled and you don't want to go to that struggle. You don't want to feel that struggle. So some people, they could be very successful and from the outside look like, well, they're good. Why do they keep going for more? But intrinsically, they don't want to go back to where they were. And I, I think about Dwayne Wade, the basketball player. And I remember him saying like, you know, I live like I'm still at a certain level because I never want to forget where I come from. So even though he has a nice luxury life, right. but he's very cognizant of how he's spending his money mm-hmm. um, because he does not want to go back to like where he was. Um, and then so 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 fast forwarding that to a relationship, I've had couples come to me. I'll give an example where people want a good life, but somehow they don't equate sometimes that a certain standard of life may require people to work really hard. So they, so there's like this exchange that has to happen. So I've had couples where maybe a a wife had a baby and the husband's like, okay. And I'm just using in this scenario, husband, wife, and the the husband's like, you know what? You stay home with the baby. I'm going to pick up extra hours. I'm going to pick up extra work or whatever. And then the wife's like, but he's not taking me out on dates anymore. And then I have to kind of take the wife back to like, okay, remember when you worked and how much time does a person work? Okay, how much time does a person sleep? It's not that he shouldn't take you on dates, but how much is he working now? Right. So it's kind of like bringing people to this realization of connecting the dots. Okay, what, 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 what lifestyle are you requiring? Can you take an adjustment? Do you have this quality time on this in this area? Does that negate then, okay, he doesn't have to take this extra 20 hours a week or whatever? Right. Because if it does, that's fine. But are you okay with the other piece of that? So sometimes it's bringing people back to a reality because of their experiences and how they see money or how can you balance that out with each other? You know, what other things can you do to create that time? So I I think money is, money is interesting because, you know, there's scarcity, there's people that have stability around it. There's people that have extreme planning around it. And then there's people that just want to be super dope at what they're doing. Like they just, I have a friend like that. Like sometimes like, do you sleep? Like you get a text at three in the morning. I'm not looking at my phone, but they're like, yeah, I just figured this thing out. You got to read about this. And so everyone, cause they, and that person's super driven. Like, so it's just, every person has their level. So I think number one is understanding your level and how important it is. And then I think it's aligning and figuring out from the other person, how they view it. I don't think you have to have the same approach. You both don't have to be super ambitious, but you do need to have an understanding. Right around money. You do need to have an understanding around what you want out of your life. You do need to know how to talk about money. You know, and I do think you shouldn't do things in the dark with money because that's that creates issues. So I, I think money's multi-layered. I mean I'm sure you do a podcast on it. Oh yeah. There's there must be lots of talks <laughs> to talk about. I mean it's selfishly right I have the podcast so I can bring other people on that maybe don't yeah. you know agree with me always feels like such a weird thing because I'm when I say they agree with me it doesn't mean like we see the world exactly the same. But it's like 
yeah, we generally agree. Like, yeah, no, couples should be working on this together. And yeah, no, couples will not always see eye to eye, but that's not always a bad thing. I, I was thinking about earlier, you know, and that I think that present orientation versus future orientation has a lot of fun, like impacts on how you would think about and approach money, totally. right? And there's strengths and limits to that even. And so I think what happens though is, right, we consciously and unconsciously are aware of our partner's money patterns and they're initially attractive. But what we don't understand is the shadow side of that attribute. Oh God, right. Yes. So like if yes. we're super wound up tight about spending money okay. and then we meet someone that's like, yeah, let's go and have a good time. Let's go spending. And you're like, yeah, I got all this money and whoa, this is cool to spend so much money. But then you get two years down the road and you're like, when is this going to stop? I can't, I can't keep, keep up with it. Oh my God. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And, and meanwhile, the other person's saying like, man, they're so responsible and they got money and like, oh, I've never had money before. Right. And like, that's so cool. But then on the other side of it, they're like, damn, they're controlling. They're a tightwad. They're, man, they're kind of a jerk. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, I, two sides of the same coin, my friend. Yeah. It's two sides of the same coin. Yeah. yeah. You got to I mean, earn money. You got to have some consistency of how you keep it too <laughs> like you can't just earn and spend you have to earn spend and invest and save like there's there's multi you know dimensions to that too um but i was just thinking about like a it was a doc a documentary i was watching it wasn't even like it was a kind of a drama yeah. documentary yeah. so this couple was sitting in court and you know and i i don't want to make it always like it's the woman or man because i think it's very equitable sure. like these things play out on both sides yes. So I'll just say one spouse was sitting, spouse A was sitting on one side, spouse B was sitting on the other side. And spouse A was like, all you did was work. You didn't care about us. And spouse B was like, yeah, because I grew up and my dad, like, you know, never could provide. And I, I just knew I wanted to be a good provider. And I saw my mom go through so much. So I guess I gave away who that was in yeah. a way. But anyway, spouse B was like, so that's why I was working. But spouse A is like, you didn't care. And spouse B is like, yeah, that's why I did care. Like I was working. And so it is a balance to it yeah. is what I'm saying with money. Yeah. But often I think we need to be transparent about it up front, like in the early phases of getting to know someone. People are like, when do I have a money conversation? Oh. And I think it's not so much like how much are you make and how much you're going to, you know, and what's the good, how are we going <laughs> to, how much are we going to make together? It's more like, how do you feel about money? Like, you know, what is, what is your thought process around it? Like, how do you see your future shaping out? Because then I think it'll give you insights into like how people see it, how they approach it and see if they're, you can see if their methodology is on par with yours or if it's way out, you know, way different than yours. Yeah. I mean, that it, that's a whole nother podcast, right? Is that. I know. Totally. But it's like <laughs> you can be aware of and try to be more intentional. And this is breaking that money taboo even, but is just being aware of what does it feel like with your interactions around money or indirect interactions. So when you're on those first couple of dates and who's paying for who and what does that feel like? Right. What type of car are they driving? How do they talk about money? I mean, there's just so many yes. pieces to it. And I think that I appreciate, I'm missing the word that you were using, but I think there's always a, a desire for us as humans to try to make things simpler. But like, sometimes we got to recognize like, the layers to our relationship with money are complicated and dynamic. Mm -hmm. That's true. And on the other side, you can get back to a second simplicity, but like you gotta go through asking lots of hard questions. And I think maybe even you if do. you don't know what questions to ask, that's the first question is what questions should I be asking? And that's why you're probably listening mm -hmm. to this podcast and talking to other people and start reading books to know the questions to ask. So 
Elizabeth, this has been an incredible interview. So much fun. I can see why people absolutely love working with you. Your positivity, oh, your fun, thanks. your playfulness, your thoughtfulness. It all combines in a really nice experience. If people wanted to hook up with you and be able to work with you, how do they find you? How do they work with you? Yeah, so number one, Ed, I can see why they want to come listen to you talk about money too because your style of just like you know expressing it and um, talking about it from a thoughtful, intentional way. Like I, I appreciate that because you're right, there's so many layers to it. Um, but I'm sure that you take people down a lot of different you know, ways to, <laughs> to say, don't forget about it. Don't, don't let it go. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> but um, if people want to learn more about the work I do, it's been a pleasure to be here today. Um, you guys can go visit my website at elizabethoverstreet.com. So it's spelled E-L-I-Z-A B as in boy, E-T-H, and then Overstreet is simple. O B as in victory, E-R-S-T-R-E-E-T.com. So you can find out about my book there. I have a book called Love You and He Will Too. And you can also connect with all my social media links through my webpage as well. That's awesome. And if you didn't catch the spelling or anything else, it's in the show notes. So you can drop into the show notes and get the links to Elizabeth's uh, contact information. I just want to say thank you and keep up the great work. It's always a delight to meet other people that are trying to help people on the journey to a healthier relationship. I invite you now to stop for five or 10 minutes and reflect on what you just heard. Maybe even journal about it. Give yourself the time to consider what you just heard and what it means to you. By giving yourself the time to reflect and integrate what you just heard, It will help you along your journey of learning, healing, and growing towards financial intimacy in your life. Please like and follow this podcast and share with someone that would benefit from being on the journey of financial intimacy. Wishing you healthy love and money, Ed. Ed.